In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. On the surface of it all, it, it seems as if this gospel lesson needs little comment this morning. It's a lesson that preaches itself and gives preference to the part that Mary has chosen. There are, however, a couple of surprise twists along the way that we'd do well to tease out in the next few moments, including the general call to discipleship, ones that, that might be missed on the quick read. So, two sisters, with all the complexities of two adult blood relatives trying to figure out how to live together, they receive Jesus into their home as he travels along the way. Now Mary is the sister who is astonished that this great teacher and prophet, the Son of God, will be stopping by their house. She's, she's eager to make room for the crowd she imagines will gather. She starts to push furniture out from the center of the room to the walls, believing that this would make more room for others to stand or sit. Open the windows, she says. Get everything out of the way. I can't believe he's coming to our house. Martha, on the other hand, is horrified. Horrified at the thought of rearranging her beautifully decorated and appointed living room. Contrary to her sister, she wants everything to stay just as it is. In fact, I wonder if you remember these, she wants to bring out new sofa covers. I had an Aunt Nolia, Aunt Nolia and Uncle Forrest, a great aunt and uncle who when we'd visit, my lasting memory is breaking a porcelain bird of theirs, God bless me. Um, but she was, the, she was the one house of my youth where sofa covers, this hard, plastic, clear uh, covering would be pulled over the, the sofas so that you would neither wear them out by sitting on them, stain them by spilling something on them, or possibly even fade them through the sunlight. Well, Martha wants to bring out the sofa covers. When she thinks about a crowd that's coming, she thinks dirt, grime, dust, foot washing. She wants to place fresh flowers at the end tables. She's thinking ahead to the evening's menu and beginning to make her market list. Will the 12 be with him? When will he arrive? How long will he stay? Who of the town will come and gather? Mary's about ready to throttle, throttle her sister. Just sit down please. Jesus is not going to be worried about these details. Let's, let's, think about, let's think about what we'll ask him. I want to ask him about heaven. Let's ask him about the Pharisees and maybe Caesar. Could, could, we, could we ask him about why he has his disciples hold on to some customs and traditions but not others? Let's ask him about the healing he does. Or maybe he'll tell the parable of the Good Samaritan for us again. I love that one. This visit to the house of two sisters, it has high stakes. But those stakes are about more than simply settling sibling rivalry. Jesus has no interest in negotiating a middle way. Neither is he interested in denigrating the important and necessary work of maintaining a house. After all, someone has got to be in the kitchen unless you intend to go hungry or live in squalor. 
Instead, when Jesus enters this house and observes Martha frantically dashing about, continuing to ready things for his arrival, when he enters this house and sees Mary sitting patiently in the living room, watching every move he makes, ready to hang on every word he says, when Jesus sees this, Jesus declares that Mary has chosen the better part. Now, two important subtexts here. One, Mary is described as sitting at the feet of Jesus. Do you remember back last week in Roger's sermon, the, the, the encounter between the lawyer and Jesus, and Roger noted that the lawyer adopted a posture of rebuke almost. The, the lawyer stood to confront Jesus. That sitting at the feet was a posture of learning, a phrase used to describe the relationship of student or disciple to his master. It was also used exclusively at this time to speak of men and their relationship to their rabbi. This sort of formal schooling and its posture was not available to women. So this, this affirmation of Mary's desire to learn, it's countercultural in its day. Surely it must have been a shock to those who heard the story told for the first time. And here we see the revealed, the revealed reforming action of Jesus that gives rise to the Apostle Paul's teaching in Galatians chapter 3. said there were two subtexts. The second it goes to this Greek word that's translated part, the part that Mary has chosen. Some translations render the Greek here as portion. Mary has chosen the greater or the better portion, and it means to suggest a kind of pun in the Greek, that while Martha prepares portions of food to be eaten, Mary is feasting on the greatest portion of all, the bread of life, in the cup of salvation. Now, some will seek to tell you that this story calls you to slow down, to appreciate the good things in life, to disengage from the busyness imposed as the result of the fall, a busyness that can be so soul-corrupting. I think this may go beyond the plain meaning of the text, though. Mary's busy to the point of being distracted. She, in a sense, is hiding behind that desire to clean, hiding behind the rush to get out the pledge and start dusting. The master doesn't call her to slow down. He doesn't say, okay, take a deep breath. Now, exhale. No, he doesn't call her to this. He doesn't call her to silence. Instead, he says to her, look up. Look up right now. Pull out the earbuds. The bridegroom is arriving. Revel in his beauty. Marvel at his appearance. Let awe and wonder overcome you. Ready your heart for learning. Listen to what the master would have you change in your life. I think when I read this and seek and search for practical application, I think what an interesting challenge to the status quo as mainline Protestant Christianity has come to embrace it. You think you know what hospitality looks like. We, we think we know when we're being hospitable. But is, is feeding the hungry? Is it possible that 
that tending to the needs of the outcast, even the broad work for inclusion of every kind, could these be kin to the part that Martha has chosen? Is, is it a rushing about the kitchen that allows one to hide from the glory of his presence? Is it a, a busyness, a distraction, even, even on behalf of neighbor, that tempts the disciple away from the very source of life and compassion and inclusion and conversion and healing? Could it be? When the Son of God arrives in your home, you're being asked to choose the better part, the better portion, the necessary portion. When Jesus comes among us, you're being asked to give him your undivided attention. There will always be other practical demands on your life, your job, your family obligations, transportation to provide for the many friends, neighbors, children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, the need to clear your email box. God bless us all. These will always be before us. Washing the dishes, taking out the garbage, the work to cultivate your relationship with friends, neighbors, spouse. But time to feed on the bread of life. Time to drink from the cup of salvation. Time to simply bask in the glory of God's presence. That kind of time and opportunity is rare and hard to come by. I think especially in this season of COVID when there have been so many other considerations and distractions. Whether it's the place of devotions in your household, in the rhythm of your day, whether it's, it's the place of, of, of coming to church in the rhythm of your week, whether it's the eager anticipation of his second coming in, in any form in the rhythm of your life, when Jesus steps into the middle, give him your undivided attention. Come and sit at his feet. Absolutely, take your turn at the kitchen sink when it comes when Jesus walks in the room, when the Son of God stands before you, choose the greater portion. Choose the better part. Listen and learn that you may be equipped to follow him through the valley of the shadow of death and on to the abundant life as characterized by the love of God and the love of neighbor as self. Choose the better part.